Uh, we are on our very last Sunday, in a, we kind of took the school year to talk about and study in the book of Acts the subject of engaging with our culture and what does it mean for disciples of Jesus in this day and age to actively pursue being witnesses for Jesus. So if you're here this morning and, and you're a disciple and you've been with us for a few uh, weeks or months or even for the entire year, hopefully we've all been challenged by the book of Acts to rethink uh, how we engage with the world around us. We've been called to be witnesses for Christ. That's how the book of Acts starts out. That's how Jesus concludes his earthly ministry before he ascends into heaven and, and, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He reminds his disciples about their marching orders. You're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that is the same directive we have in our generation. So the question is, uh, how can we learn from the book of Acts? We've been studying over the year what it means to engage in a variety of different ways. Uh, but you'll probably agree with me that starting well doesn't always equal ending well. Uh, a lot of folks start well, and somewhere along the line, uh, things go haywire. If you, uh, if you get your news off the internet like I do, uh, maybe you saw this, uh, this article this week about a, a girl, a woman who left a note for her boyfriend. I've had to edit it just a little bit to be able to use this morning, but uh, it, it, it's along the lines of starting well doesn't mean you necessarily end well. Hi, honey, exclamation point. Guess who left his Facebook open on the computer and got a message from Kelsey, question mark. Yeah, you, smiley face. But don't worry, I didn't break anything. Actually, I was nice enough to package your things, and I even invented a neat game since I know you like games like looking for things, like other girls. Here's where you'll find your stuff. Your clothes are where we first met. Your video games are where we first kissed. Your laptop is where we bought our first video game together. Your TV, I can't tell you where that is. Everything else, including the pictures of the last two years of our lives, are at Kelsey's house. <laughs> Have fun. And oh, while I didn't break or damage anything, I can't guarantee anybody else won't find it. Happy hunting. Yeah, ooh, <laughs> is exactly right. If you've ever been in that situation before, you're kind of going, I don't know why I came to church this morning. That doesn't feel too good. How does the book of Acts end? More importantly, how will our lives end? When it's all said and done, I don't mean how is the Lord gonna, going to uh, bring us out of this life. Um, I'm not talking about the circumstances, but what will our lives be known for when folks look back on the first generation of people at Green Tree Community Church? Uh, what will they remember? A final look at Paul's life in Acts 28, which is where we're going to be in just a minute. Uh, the last lines in Acts that speak to Paul's life, that speak to Paul's ministry, show us a, a few things that I want to just point out before we read the text this morning. The first thing is we're going to see that there's as much focus or maybe even more focus on the message than the messenger. Uh, the book of Acts is not, the second half of the book of Acts, is not about Paul's life. It examines Paul's life and ministry in the context of the bigger picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out into all nations. And so we're going to find from the beginning of end to now at the very, or the beginning of Acts, now at the end, that the focus really is on the message. It also ends with the promise that we find in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to the apostles, and in 9.15, a promise that is given specifically to Paul 
that that promise is being fulfilled in the first generation of disciples, namely that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. Where did the gospel begin? Technically, it began in and around Jerusalem. It began in and around the nation of Israel. In chapter 28, Paul is in Rome, and the gospel has gone all over the Roman Empire and even has begun to move into Asia through some of the other apostles and into Africa through some of the other apostles. The the word of God is spreading throughout the entire world, so we actually see God being faithful to his promise. The third thing is that it focuses every new generation of believers not only on God's faithfulness, but also on his calling for our lives. We are still in the process of sharing the good news of Jesus with others in our generation, just as they were in the first. So how does Paul end? How does the book of Acts end? Uh, And I think we'll see, actually, it has a good end uh, to a strong beginning. Acts chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 23 through 31. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles or your touchpads, wherever you have the uh, the Word of God available to you, uh, and I will read for us. Hear his word. It's talking about a, a group of Jewish leaders when it says, when they appointed day... Uh, came, they came to him in his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Then he quotes Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we come with anticipation that you would speak your truth into our lives. Father, we come from a wide variety of of personal backgrounds as well as a wide variety of experiences this last week. As we look to next week, we we think of some things that are on our plate. Uh, Some are good, some are are fun, and others maybe are uh, making us a bit nervous or even making us fearful. Father, I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know all of the the things about which they are joyful nor the things that wake them up in the middle of the night, but you do. You You knew every one of us before we were even born. You have marked out the days of our lives, and you have engaged with us as a redemptive God, a God of salvation, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. So, Lord, as we gather together this morning, whether we have known you a long time, whether we are just getting to know you or whether we're not even sure that you exist, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your truth. Father, we thank you for the examples we see in the book of Acts of men and women who were faithful to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray for every disciple at Green Tree, Lord, that you would make us even more faithful 
for however many days you would give us that we would proclaim his truth with kindness, with compassion, uh, but also with boldness. Father, I pray for friends here that, that may not know you, that this morning might be a morning where you open uh, their hearts and minds to the truth of your love and your compassion, your offer of salvation to everyone who would put their faith in you. So, Lord, this is an important text. Uh, it brings to conclusion our, our thinking for the last year in worship. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would move me aside. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know. Forgive my sin. Father, don't let me keep someone from understanding your word. I pray that you would come and that you would teach us through your spirit, through the power of the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. I want to give you four observations about this text this morning and, and kind of along the idea of, of ending well uh, as it has begun. Uh, and as we look at this passage, just very quickly, the context, Paul has been brought to Rome. He's a prisoner of the state. Uh, if you read earlier in chapter 28, you will see that, that Paul is under house arrest, so to speak. He's able to live in a private residence, but he always has a Roman guard with him, and he's awaiting his appeal to Caesar. Uh, Paul was in Jerusalem, and then uh, he was in uh, the, uh, Syria, the area of Syria uh, under arrest because the Jews had accused him of violating a wide variety of laws. And when he was not getting a fair hearing before Festus, he said, Festus said, let me send you back to Jerusalem to be tried by your own countrymen. Paul knew that if that happened, he would be murdered. And as a Roman citizen, he took his, the right that he had and he said, I won't go to Jerusalem. I appeal to Caesar. And Festus said, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you'll go. Under Roman law, Festus was bound at that moment when Paul made uh, that request. And so now several months later, probably about four months later, Paul finds himself under house arrest in Rome, and where we're studying this morning is the second of two conversations that he's had with the Jewish leaders in Rome, who he's called together to present uh, his case, so to speak, and that's where we pick up the conversation. I have four observations out of the text this morning. The first is this, that what we see in Acts chapter 28 is a tireless and a thorough representation of the gospel. It is both tireless and thorough. When, they had, appointed, when the, they had appointed a day for him, they came to him in his lodging in great numbers. So picture maybe a house, I don't know how big it was. Let's say that you, know, you could fit you know, 20 people comfortably in a room, but there might be 100 people kind of hanging all over the place. And they've got the windows open and people are listening kind of out in the yard with their hands there trying to hear what's being said inside. There's a large group of people here to understand what's going on. And from morning till evening... He expounded to them. He kept teaching, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Just a couple of things here before we get into kind of the tireless and thorough. A couple of key words that are being used here. First of all, Paul is testifying to the kingdom of God. That's personal. That's Paul saying, let me tell you my story. And we've mentioned this over and over again throughout the last year, but your story is a disciple of Jesus. My story is a disciple of Jesus. They are important in people understanding how the truth of the word of God applies to them. The message of the gospel doesn't happen void of reality. The message of the gospel isn't over here while the rest of our lives are practical and over here. There's no separation between the secular and the sacred, so to speak. Jesus is Lord of all, and so as Paul is sharing with them, he is testifying, he's telling his story, but he's also trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Paul's also pointing them back to Scripture. 
If you're new to Green Tree, this, this isn't unusual for me to open the Bible and to read God's Word and then for us to study God's Word. This is not an abnormal Sunday. This is a radically normal Sunday at Green Tree. We study God's Word. We believe Paul's testimony, and we believe we have been convinced about Jesus, both from the law of Moses in the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament, and the New Testament passages, the Gospels and the Epistles. I say when I read Scripture, this is God's holy word. To him alone be glory. That's what we believe about it. This is God's word. It is his truth. It is truth. And so we come to worship. We come to study God's word. We come to worship intellectually. We come to engage our minds. And that's what Paul is doing. He's taking them back to a Scripture they know very well. In other words, without fail, Paul stays on message. And just as kind of a a sidebar application here, every person with whom I speak for the sake of the gospel deserves my best, deserves my very best thinking, deserves my very best energy, deserves my very best attention. You have to remember, if you've been a believer for a while, everyone has a first time hearing the gospel. Everyone has a first time, whether they're a little child in our Sunday school classrooms or whether they've never set foot in a church or been around any Christians and they've wandered in here today because they heard that Dunkin' Donuts were in the hallway somewhere. (laughs) Whatever the case may be, every one of us had a first time where we heard about Jesus. If this is your first time to hear about Jesus, we're honored that you would be here, that this would be the place where you could hear about him. That really humbles us, and it causes us to remember that we must give our best that this is good news, and that this news deserves our perseverance and our witness. That's what is necessary. That is what's called for. And so what we see in the microcosm of just one day of Paul's life, this is one of many, but he kind of goes to his normal routine from morning till night. You know, it's like, I'll go as long as you guys will sit here and have a conversation with me talking about the Lord Jesus. Are we willing to be tireless And are we willing to be thorough in our representation of the kingdom of God as we tell our stories, we testify, as well as trying to convince? Or do we do we pull up short? Do we get tired and say, you know, kind of I've had enough. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna stop now. I remember a few years ago, I don't think it's actually still on TV, but but probably two or three years ago, it was one of the survival shows that didn't make it. And it was about, uh, they, they took a couple families out of big cities, like there was a family out of L.A., I think there may have been a family out of Chicago, and they put them uh, out in Montana. Uh, and they had them work with like a mountain man to see if they could get ready all summer long if, if all the stuff they did would, would help them to survive for the winter. And so the mountain man would come around and say, okay, now everybody's got to take turns. You've got to have somebody cutting wood every day all summer long. So I think there were five in the family, so you know, every fifth day was your day, and all you did all day was cut wood, and somebody else was working in the field, and somebody else was taking care of you know, butchering the hogs and all this kind of stuff, and he would come and give them progress reports. Well, at the very end of the summer, they, I mean, they had been working like crazy, and they were just exhausted. At the very end of the summer, you know, it's, it's the end of August, and he comes in, and he looks. He's like, okay, this part of it's pretty good, and you got this part of the house done. That's great. And then he looks at this gigantic stack of wood. I mean, an enormous stack of firewood, and he goes, well, that'll get you to about the end of February, and then you're going to freeze to death and die. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, you know. And the kids are like, can we go back to Los Angeles now? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, can they go back to Los Angeles now? I don't want them to die in the wilderness. But I think sometimes we get the idea that, you know, we've worked hard enough, and now it's time to just kind of put up our feet and rest just a bit. 
And we need to remember that God's word calls us as disciples. Not that there isn't time for retreat, not that there isn't time for rest. Every one of us should, should take a Sabbath day every, every week. That's biblical. We should take time to rest. We should take time to play. But our lives must be spent tirelessly and with thoroughness for the sake of the gospel. My second observation in this text is that when we share, when we give our very best, when we, when we, when we bring the gospel to bear on people's lives, we're going to meet with both acceptance and rejection. Look at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, the exact same word that he used in verse 23. He's trying to convince them. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. God does not promise you, and he does not promise me 100% positive results. If you've shared your faith with enough people, you know that some people may be polite, they may be kind, they may be a family member or friend, and, and you're still buddies, you still get along well, but they've said thanks, but no thanks. They don't believe, while others that maybe surprise us sometimes put their faith in Christ. Which leads me to understand from this text, one of the things that God wants us to understand is that the person's reaction can't be my focus. If I share the gospel with you, and I do so tirelessly, and I do so with thoroughness, and then I sit there and say, now you must believe, and if you don't believe, then I just fall to pieces, my focus is in the wrong place. I cannot be looking to your reaction to give me encouragement or to discourage me. Rather, my call is to be faithful to the message. Your call as a disciple of Jesus is to make sure that paramount above all else, the gospel is shared. If you look at the, the very brief message we have in Acts 28 of Paul's uh, story, of Paul's preaching, so to speak, and you go all the way back to Acts chapter 2, and you read Peter's sermon, which is a little bit longer, it's a little bit lengthier, but you look at the content, you look at the message at the beginning, and you look at the message at the end, and guess what? It's exactly the same message. Different words are used, two different guys, but they're preaching the same gospel. In other words, they're not focusing on the, the reaction of people. There are certain messages you can give to folks, and if they don't like them, you can kind of tweak it a little bit and make it okay. You know, we're getting ready to go into a building project. I bet we're going to have a lot of opinions about colors on things. You know what? And it might be that I'm looking at something and go, that ought to be blue, and somebody else comes along and says, that ought to be green, and I'm like, okay, make it green. Not that big of a deal. I had a guy at my house this week that said, you have a serious problem with your air conditioner, and here's what we got to do to fix it. And I wasn't free to say, well, let's just work on a hot water heater. <laughs> I could, but then I wouldn't have any air conditioning this summer. There are some things that you can't, you can't negotiate. It, the truth is the truth. And the truth in Acts chapter 2 is the truth in Acts 28, and that is our focus. Our focus is on making sure every person that God brings across our path, whom he gives us the opportunity to point to Jesus, that that's what we do. We effectively and lovingly and compassionately point them to Jesus. We don't change the message. I had the opportunity this week with a friend that I've had for several years to, to once again talk to about faith. And it was probably the longest conversation we've ever had about it. And for about 20 minutes... He, said, he asked a question, and, uh, and I said, you really want to know what I think about it? You really want to know what I think the answer to that? He says, yeah, I really do. So literally for 20 minutes, he sat there, and I just laid the gospel out. Bump, 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 bump. And the whole time, I'm just praying, Lord, just, just, you know. And this is a guy that, you know, he's never given any inclination whatsoever that he has any interest in the Bible or Jesus or anything. And I get done with it, and I'm kind of, you know, like this. And, and I'm looking at him, like, okay, where's this going? He goes, well, I believe that. I'm like, What? <laughs> 
Now, now, usually when people say that, you know, the Christian would get really excited and go, praise God. Now I'm getting angry. <laughs> what do you mean you believe in Jesus? <laughs> That's not a real good evangelism tool. But, but, the, but the reaction startled me. And I, and I realized, and we, we kind of got it all squared away after that. Startled him a little bit, too. He's like, what pastor gets upset when someone believes in Jesus? I said, I, I got to go back and rethink that one a little bit. But my focus was on the reaction instead of being focused on sharing the truth of the gospel. We will meet with both acceptance and rejection. The third observation out of four in this text is Paul's uh, quoting of Isaiah, an alarming observation. Some of them disagreed. They, and uh, they're getting ready to depart. But before they depart, Paul says this, the Holy Spirit was right, saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, and I quotes to the Old Testament, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. Go to that next slide. Thank you. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Now, if you read those verses very casually, you just kind of skim over them, you would say, wow, that, that, that's a pretty ugly God there. There's a God who's actually sending a messenger to say to people, kind of nana, nana, boo, boo, you, you, you can't have this. That's not what God is doing here. God is not arbitrarily hindering some listeners from getting it. If you think about the prophet Isaiah for a moment, to whom Paul refers, you think about the apostle Paul. Before those words were ever spoken, both those men met with strident refusal to believe. Isaiah preached in Jerusalem, and Isaiah preached to the elite of the Jewish culture of his day, and if you go back and you read through Isaiah and you read some of the criticism that is leveled against Isaiah, one of the criticisms is that Isaiah isn't fit to teach a kindergarten class. Isaiah is a, is a mental pygmy. He doesn't have the right to speak. He's not intellectual enough. He's not smart enough. We don't need to listen to him because he's a fool. Long before these verses were quoted from Isaiah's lips, Isaiah had spent year after year after year warning the people of Israel that they had rejected God's grace and mercy. And their strident refusal to put their faith in God was leading them down a road of disaster. And year after year after year, people said, don't listen. Don't pay attention. How many times in the Apostle Paul's life before this moment had Paul been rejected? by people that were listening to his words. How many times had Paul poured out the gospel only to have people try to kill him for the message? The truth is that constant rejection of the gospel of Jesus can lead to an ever-growing hardness of heart. This is an observation by God. This is not God saying, this is what I'm going to do to you. Notice what he says, they have closed their eyes. It's like a, a little child, a little three-year-old, and you want them to see something, they're like, you can't make me look at that. That's how some people react to the gospel of Jesus. And, and Paul is offering an alarming observation that if you continue in dismissing the gospel, if you continue to ignore this, then what was said in Isaiah's day will be true in your generation as well. Eventually, you may become deaf and blind to the truth, but it will be by your own volition. My individual refusal of faith 
however, does not hamper God's love for the lost. Paul's right there. He's digging in. He's getting after it. He spends all day and all evening talking to folks about the gospel, begging and pleading as best he can for people to put their faith in Christ. And an individual refusal of faith could lead to an eventual deafness, to a, to a metaphorical unwillingness to see the truth. However, that's not my concern. That's God's concern. God's called me to continue to share his love for the lost. Do I do that or do I lose patience? Do I quit on people? I say, you know, enough's enough. I, I've had, I, you know, six conversations is all you get. You know, three years of interacting for the sake, that's all you get, and then I'm moving on to somebody else. I have no patience for you. That's not the heart of God. God doesn't leave us to die in our sin. Isaiah and Paul are actually proof that God keeps coming. He doesn't quit. You may go deaf and blind by rejecting the truth of the gospel, but God says, I won't stop speaking and demonstrating my gracious love to you. Uh, you guys know this if you've been at church for more than one or two Sundays at Green Tree. Katie was our strong-willed child, continues to be our strong-willed child. She's 27. Um, you kind of lose track after a while. But when Katie was a little girl and she would get in trouble, and after kind of everything was settled and the discipline was handled and it was now time for life to go on, she would not let you hug her. <laughs> she would stand like this and you would gather her up and I'm talking when she was three, four, five years old, you'd gather her up in her arms and you'd just squeeze her and you'd love her and you'd kiss her and say, I love you so much. You're so special. I'm so glad you're my daughter. And she would just like that, just put me down, Dad. Put that. Nope, I don't love you. And I would never put her down and say, well, if you don't love me, I don't love you. Right? That's called abuse. I'd say, I don't care if you're going to hug me back or not. You can't stop me from loving you. Never going to happen. That's what God is saying here. You've closed your eyes. I'm not going to force you. I'm going to tell you time and time again. And this alarming observation is actually a warning. If you're sitting here this morning for the 700th time you've been at Green Tree Community Church and you're still not convinced, I'm going to warn you this morning. Your ears may be getting dull. Your eyes may be closing. And it's nobody's fault but your own. But one more time, a gracious father saying, I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep sharing the truth with you. And as disciples of Jesus, for those of us that are seeking to engage with our culture, we need to understand this observation. and should drive us to pray for people like we've never, ever prayed in our lives. My last observation about this text, and then we're going to come to the Lord's table and celebrate communion, is this. Basically, this is all about anything, anytime, anywhere, anyone. There isn't a place where Paul doesn't share the gospel. He says the Gentiles will listen, and then it says he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. These are my underlines, not the text. Proclaiming to the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. These are the last two recorded years of Paul's life. They're not necessarily the last two years of Paul's life. Some church historians believe that he actually was released from this imprisonment, maybe got as far as Spain, but eventually was brought back to Rome and later was, uh, was condemned to die because of his faith in Christ. But be that as it may, however Paul's life ends, this is the last word we have because the last word is not about Paul. <laughs> 
The last word is about the gospel. The last word about me as a disciple of Jesus is not about, you know, if I live to be 90 years old or go out this afternoon and go on the golf course and get hit by a bolt of lightning. That's not the point. The story is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story is about God's love and God's mercy. And so the, the passage of Acts ends the same way that it's been spending its time over and over again. That Paul is doing exactly what he's done many, many times before. And he's eager and he's active to proclaim Jesus as Savior and Lord, welcoming anybody that would, would walk through the door. Paul didn't have a list like, you know, here are the people I'll see, but here are the people I won't see. Here are the folks that I like and here are the folks that I don't like. No. If anybody ever came to Green Tree and said, my kind isn't welcomed here, shame on us. At the same time, shame on us if we don't point everyone to Jesus. The only hindrance for the gospel, I think, is the one that I create. It's a lack of, of trusting in God's mission for my life to share the gospel. It's a busyness with other things. And friends, we, we have to make a living. We, we're supposed to go about our work. Uh, we're supposed to uh, care for our families. We're supposed to be good moms and dads and husbands and businessmen and businesswomen and teachers and doctors and lawyers and all the things we do. But all that's in the context of being witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is speaking to anyone, anytime, anywhere. What about you and me? I want to close this study with a, a quick quote from uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He was a pastor of 10th uh, Church in Philadelphia. Passed away a few years ago. And the very last part of the quote is going to be on the screen. But I want to read a, a couple of paragraphs for you because that's the, the question he asks. Is, We've seen it in Acts. We got it. It's here. Now, what are we going to do with it? And here's, here's how he ends his commentary on this passage. He's talking about uh, God, his opening doors, is giving opportunities for Paul. And he says, as long as the door was open, Paul was going to preach through that door to the Gentile community as well. If he did it, then we must do it too. It is our opportunity. If God opens the door to the Jews for you, walk through it. If God opens the door to the Gentiles, walk through it. If God opens the door to your neighbor, walk through it. Wherever you go, if people will listen, tell them about Jesus, because this is the day of Christian proclamation. It is by preaching, teaching, and sharing of the word of God that people are brought to Jesus. What's it, what does it matter whether we are faithful to the calling to which God has called us? The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. The end has not yet come. So you and I still have a task of preaching it. Will we? Will we be found faithful? That is the final question for us from the book of Acts. The word is not hindered. We are its messengers. Will we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, beginning with our Jerusalem, as we have been instructed to do? If we will, God will bless it to the praise of the glory of his great grace. Will you pray with me? Father, we are humbled by this word when we see a man who has been in prison for the very thing about which he's speaking. He could be endangering his own life by continuing to share the gospel, and yet that's exactly what he does. And he's a man just like us. He's not the hero of this story. Jesus is. 
It's his glory and it's his grace that moved Paul to be the witness he was. And Lord, it's your glory and your grace that will move us to be your witness. So Father, I pray for this congregation, every one of us as a spiritual family, that we would uh, take the lesson of Acts to heart. That the deepest care and concern of our hearts would not uh, be our own well-being, not our own accumulation of wealth or power, prestige, but, Father, it would be the glory of Jesus. Lord, you give wealth and power and prestige as you so see fit. Uh, we can leave those things to you. Father, we pray that at the depth of our hearts, we would care desperately for everyone around us. That we would care desperately that they know Jesus. Not so they can be good like us. Lord, we're just as messed up as everybody else. But with the exception of you, your grace has found us. And it is still to find others. So use us, Lord, we pray. Uh, in this place, uh, in this week as we go from here, to tell people the glory and the mercy and the love and the kindness of Jesus. And as Dr. Boyce said, uh, for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.